Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake hole. <laughs> and today we will be talking about the 10th episode of the first season of Supernatural, Asylum. Jamie, what did you think? Okay, so I'm just going to say the lighting in this episode. Oh my god, Jamie, every episode. <laughs> you are going to be mad about this every episode. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I like the lighting in this episode. <gasps> No. It made sense. Jamie. Okay, I couldn't see anything, but it still made sense. Jamie. Oh my God. I cannot believe this isn't the first thing you said to me when you walked in the door today. It made sense for the episode. It's set at night in an abandoned asylum building. I don't mind that it was a little dark. Uh, Oh my God. I'm so glad we have this on recording. I'm so glad. (laughs) I'm so glad that I get to listen to this over and over. It's going to help me sleep at night. I'm sorry, I just, I can't believe you started off with a positive comment. Not only you started off with a positive comment, but it was a positive comment about the lighting. Okay. D- don't worry, I have a feeling it's not going to hold through the rest of the season. <laughs> but, You're like, it's not going to last. It is fleeting. But for this episode, I really enjoyed the lighting choices they made. Yeah, so did I. It just made sense given the fact that it's set in a creepy asylum, it's set at night, and a lot of it is sort of using torch light, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like the light of the moon. Like, yeah. yeah. It's not meant to be bright, and it would make absolutely no sense if it was better lit. Yeah. They did what they needed to do, and you could still see it, which is... It wasn't like some episodes where they've shot them, and it's meant to be the middle of the day, and it looks like the middle of the goddamn night. Yeah. I'm really glad that you like the lighting. Um, it makes me very happy. But it ties also really nicely into what I wanted to talk about first up, which is that I actually really love this set. Like, I love the asylum as a location. I think it's really cool. And I love that it's got, like, it's very, it, like, it looks well-worn. Like, I feel like sometimes you watch a show and it's like, oh, this, like, abandoned building. And, like, and you're like, yeah, it just looks like an old building. But I love that. Like, there's all of the, like, the tags on the wall and, like, all of the graffiti and, like, there's rubbish and shit and it looks like maybe people have squatted there or maybe, like, you know, they talk a lot about, oh, yeah, kids break in here all the time and it looks like kids probably break in there all the time, you know? There's, like, you know, random trash and, like, you know, I I like that it looks like what they say it is rather than someone being, like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, an abandoned building. And you look at it and you're like, wow, those tiles look really new for an abandoned building. Can we talk about how stupid you would have to fucking be to break into an abandoned asylum, though? I mean, I I personally wouldn't do it. I understand the thrill of, like, being like, ooh, we're not supposed to be here. It's literally, I mean, it's literally like the pandemic, isn't it? It's like you're not allowed to go outside your house and everyone's like, well, I wouldn't have gone outside my house except you said I wasn't allowed to. And now it is essential that I get a cup of coffee from the corner store every fucking morning. You know, like you put a fence around something and people are like, well, now I have to go in. I still think, <laughs> I still think it's a stupid decision. I'm not saying it's not stupid. I'm just saying I understand why they make the choice. <laughs> Look, you would not catch me in an abandoned building that used to be an asylum. Like, ever. Yeah. It's surprising that they haven't... Actually, the most unrealistic thing about this episode is that the asylum hasn't been monetized somehow. Like, they don't do ghost tours. Like, that's 100% what would have happened if it was a real, like, location, right? Though, to be fair, I'm finding it really shocking, though, that they didn't just knock the asylum down. Why, why would you leave... Yeah, I guess so. ...an abandoned asylum standing? I definitely had a moment in the start of the episode, though, where I'm like, oh, they're going to do this thing again where Dean is shitty at talking to people. <laughs> And I was like, oh, they actually planned to have it be Dean is shitty at talking to people. Yeah. So that Sam could talk to people. But it still proves my point that it never seems to be Dean who gets usable information out of fucking anybody. <laughs> no. Oh, it's funny. I, I love that they literally did the good cop, bad cop routine on a cop. cop. Like, I just thought that was so funny. And, like, it was effective. But I love that, like, Dean is like, wow, you shoved me kind of hard there because, like, Sam really went for it. Yeah. Like, he was like... Wow, a chance to throw my brother against a wall. Sounds fun. And he committed. (laughs) For me, it felt very, like, watching the rest of the episode, it felt a little bit on the nose. It's like, ah, yes, here's this moment where we're going to show off how angry Sam is inside by having him casually slam Dean against the wall, basically. Yeah. And then they had him be possessed by the... The spirit. The spirit who basically makes people feel a whole shit ton of rage. Actually, it's interesting that you bring up Sam's, like, rage and, like, how it comes out in this episode. Because quite fittingly, last night or this morning, I can't remember, 
uh, I was on Tumblr and I came across a post just randomly that was talking about how interesting it is that Dean as a character is shown to be this like devil may care kind of on the outside like his exterior is like sort of I don't give a shit whatever but inside like you see under his layers he's quite a vulnerable character and then Sam is this character who on the outside is supposed to be like like he wants to talk about his emotions and like you know verbalize and uh and he's got see I haven't got any of that They've well, both been like, I, I find it very funny that this episode they finally get Sam to go to therapy and he's like yeah. refusing to talk about anything other than like, ah, yes, the old asylum and the riots. Yeah. No, um, but basically this idea that Sam is the like kind of level-headed of the two, like on the exterior, um, and then on the inside he is just like constantly at this like simmering rage that's like just like, it's like a second away from boiling over at like any point. And it's such a funny, like, contrast. Um, and I just thought it was uh, fitting that I happened to see that post right when we were going to talk about this episode. Because you're right, Sam is very angry. And I think this is, like, an interesting, like, plot way that they sort of were able to explore that without it just being, like, creating a reason for them to have an argument. It was like, well, let's, like, make it, quote, unquote, the spirit that has made him angry, but like we kind of know that it's like, well, there's truth in what he's angry about. It's a bit like in the episode Skin, where they had the doppelganger basically understand the thoughts and feelings of the person they were pretending to be. Yeah. And they use sort of the very internalized truths that are so far below the surface that they don't really think about them really all that regularly. They're just sort of there, their thoughts they've had in the yeah. past or feelings they've felt in the past and they may be over it they may have dealt with it but they decided like the doppler used those to inflict as much psychological damage as they possibly could yeah and um in that episode we like you're right we get some insight into and we talked about this in the episode as well but you get insight into like maybe some of dean's like subconscious thoughts or feelings um but then the shifter uses them and like weaponizes them and the spirit here does a very similar thing but it's in the opposite uh way so it possesses Sam and it weaponizes Sam's anger. Um, And especially, like, there was tension building between the two of them the whole episode as well, which, like, kind of helped, I think, to have it kind of bubble over at the end. Because if we jump – I mean, we're talking sort of about the climax of the episode at the moment. But if we jump right back to the start, like, Sam and Dean get the text message from John and it's the coordinates. And (laughs) the first thing that I want to bring up about that – is that the phone rings. Like, it's like a, a ringtone. And it goes on for a minute because, like, Dean is, like, looking for the phone because it's ringing. And he picks it up and it's just a text. That has always confused me. See, always. I didn't notice that. I just thought it was a weirdly <laughs> long text, like, ringtone. No, it's, like, ringing. It's always I do want to know, though, how do they know it's from John? It comes from an unknown number. I think it's just because it's coordinates. Like, who else would send them just It might be a wrong fucking number. <laughs> They might not be coordinates. They might just be random fucking numbers. Might be some kids trying to prank them. Don't tell me you've never been at a sleepover and they're like, oh, we should just type in some random numbers and, like, ring them and shit. Like, how do we know this isn't just kids like, oh, let's just text random coordinates to, like, unknown numbers? That does sound like a thing that people would do. I just want to know how the hell he sent it from an unknown phone number. Because you can ring from an unknown phone. Like, you can ring from a private number, but you can't... As far as I know, you can't send texts. I mean, this was 2005. Maybe they had different settings. I mean, we would have been too young to have phones. Yeah, no, I I don't know. I never thought about it being, like, an unknown number. You would think that he would... I guess he's trying to, like... He's trying to remain anonymous throughout. Like, he doesn't... You get the vibe that he's on the run and doesn't necessarily want them to be able to track him easily. I mean, if he did, he would just call them, wouldn't he? You know, so... But also, a single text message containing coordinates from the phone number they recognise as their father's isn't going to tell them where their father is. Yeah, I guess. But it also might be, like, he might be using different burner cells and, like, that might be one But then it would still come up with a number. Because it comes up with, like, no number. It doesn't just come up as, like, the phone number because it's not in the phone. Mm. It comes up as, like, like, the phone says unknown number. It doesn't say, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. More unanswered questions about Supernatural. More plot holes in Supernatural. In that scene. Yes. Actually, I love... Back to the point. I love when uh, 
um, Dean's like, you know, Dad's like, send us a text. And Sam goes, the man can barely work a toaster. And I thought that was so funny. Not only because it's just a funny line, and I think Jared delivered it particularly well, but because literally, literally one episode prior in Home, they established that John co-owned a garage. He was a mechanic. You're telling me that he can't use a mobile phone? Like, it just kind of comes back to this thing that we were talking about where, like, people got different memos for the same group project. And it's like, you literally, last episode, introduced that John was, like, a mechanic and he, like, knew his way around machinery and he's, you know, practical. And then the next episode, you're like, the man couldn't use a toaster. And it's like... You know, I understand, like, obviously using a mobile phone is, like, very different to using, like, you know, general machinery. But, like, it's not rocket science, you know? In this episode, they make a joke. It might have gone over your head because I don't know if you've watched either of these shows. Okay. But, it like, it threw me back to watching TV with my mum oh, really? as, like, an early teenager. <laughs> yeah. They make a joke about Sam being a psychic and they mention... uh uh, Patricia Arquette mm-hmm. and Love Hewitt. Lo- Jennifer Love Jennifer Hewitt. Jennifer Love yeah. Hewitt. Yes. Did you get that joke? Um, no, I don't recognize Patricia Arquette. I only recognize Jennifer Love Hewitt, but I didn't understand the relevance. And I look, I could have Googled it, but I just so, didn't. So Patricia Arquette played like the psychic yeah. medium. Oh, okay. And Jennifer Love Hewitt played the psychic in Ghost Whisperer. Oh, both the shows that I watched with my mother. That's why I know her name. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And see, like, I love that again. Like, you get another little insight into, like, well, Dean knows those references, which kind of, like, implies that he's probably watched the shows at some point, you know, or at least read one of those, like, trashy celeb magazines, <laughs> um, which I love. Um, I also noticed in that scene, Dean specifically uses the phrase, don't ask, don't tell. And I don't know if you... I do understand the significance of that phrase in regards to the American military's policy of Queerish soldiers and don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, and what is interesting to me about that is I actually went, I was like, when did don't ask, don't tell become, like, when did it originate and when did it end? It actually didn't end till 2011. Like, Obama's administration put an end to it, which is way more recent than I thought it was. Which is, I mean, a lot of the time you look at queer history and you're like, oh, fuck, that was way more recent than I thought it was. No, I thought it was interesting, but actually came in under the Clinton administration. So why that is interesting to me is because John was a Marine. He would have come from a military background, not in the right era. But I thought it was interesting that, one, that Dean specifically used that phrase. um, And two, interesting knowing, like, John's military background. um, And he probably, like, even if he wasn't serving... He may have, like, had a very similar mentality. Um, And so, like, in upbringing, that may have been kind of what they were fed. Um, Obviously, that's just, like, pure speculation. It's not really supported by canon. But that was just, I thought, an interesting interesting choice by the uh, the writer for this episode. Okay, but let's talk about the way they climb the fence to get into the asylum. Okay. They, like, half climb it. And then they, like, straight up gymnast flip themselves over the top. Yeah. Did you see that? I did, and I'm pretty sure that they actually. I'm pretty sure that's actually Jensen, not a body double too. I, you can't maybe don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that he actually did that himself. Because they've <laughs> just come from Phantom Traveler, where they have to climb over a fence. Yeah, and they don't do any of that shit. That's true. Although, and I, it's like the same style of fence, like the the wire fence with barbed wire. Oh, on top. You, they use the the jackets. They use the jackets, and yeah. they climb over like that. So why? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't climb a fence that way. I don't know. Maybe they're just showing off. For who? <laughs> the camera. <laughs> the fucking ghosts. There's just, uh, Dr. Ellicott is like watching them from the window like, mm, yes, very good, very good. New specimens. <laughs> I can see they have a lot of rage in the way they jump the fence. Okay, while we're talking about getting into the asylum, yes. there's this moment and the cop's like, oh, why did they bring bolt cutters? It's like, because they're breaking into a fucking abandoned asylum. I feel like... What if they need to cut through the fucking fence? Like... Uh, Actually, they never explain how the kids get into the fence. I guess they must have just climbed it too. But yeah, I feel like he was more surprised with their dedication. Like, fuck, these kids came prepared, you know? Actually, one thing that I wanted to mention uh, about the asylum was when... I think it's Dean first enters the room. Uh, I think Sam has gone to take... Kat and Gavin, like, to get them out of the building. Yes. And, like, Dean is going by himself. And when he finds that, like, journal. Let's just talk about how they always split up. Oh, I know. When is that ever a good idea? 
never, literally never. Um, but they, look, they do it a lot. But the thing that I wanted to talk about is when Dean goes into the room, there's like a shot and it like shows like, it's like an establishing shot. It shows the room. There's like crap everywhere from the right. There's just like a random baby doll with its head ripped off. I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't notice. There's the, just there's just a baby remember, doll with I no head. The lighting better this episode. It was still dark as shit. <laughs> I only liked the lighting better this episode because it made sense for it to be dark as shit. I just I was looking at that and I was going, how does that fit in? Like how I'm like unless and this is horrible, but like unless one of like the patients within the asylum was like very young or maybe it's like a comfort thing. That they had there this doll are, with them, but I couldn't think. I was like, how the hell does a baby doll come into this equation? Yeah, so yeah. I don't know if it was necessarily meant to like imply a child, but there are certainly disorders that people can have and did have that would have resulted in them ending up in an asylum that could have slowed down their mental development significantly and had mm. them be an adult, but with the mentality of a young child or a young teenager. Yeah, I think actually looking at it with that perspective in mind as well, it actually is kind of heartbreaking that they've got that doll in there because it also, it drives home the innocence of the people who were in that place and like the true horrors that they were subjected to because truly like those people weren't being cared for, they were being tortured and that is so horrific and I think actually, I know we've touched on this a few episodes in a row now, or not in a row necessarily, but it's a, a recurring theme where the character who would traditionally be portrayed as a villain or an antagonist is actually a victim themselves. And like, you know, through the start of the episode, you're sort of led to believe that the ghosts of the patients, you know, the quote unquote crazy people, you know, are who are causing the problem. But then obviously you learn as you go, no, 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 these people are trying their best to help. And the reason why they rioted in the first place because was because they were being so horribly abused and they weren't receiving the care that they needed or, you know, mental health is one of those issues where over the, the centuries and decades, things that we now consider to not have anything to do with mental health, like, for example, women knowing math, or, you know, uh, general, like, masturbation or, you know, any of these, like, oh, God, like, the concept of hysteria, you know. Even just some women, especially going, you know, 200 or so years in the past, even just grieving the loss of a child yeah, could get a woman labelled with hysteria. Yeah, exactly. And they could potentially be thrown in an asylum depending on, you know, how rich they were, basically. Mm. And so, like, you think of all of these people who are condemned to this fate, really, because once you're there, the chance of you ever leaving is so low, whether that's because you die there or if it's because you're just not released. You know, and I mean, I guess that means you would die there as well. It's tragic, really, and um, they don't show it in the episode, but I really do hope that those spirits were able to find peace once the Doctor was, you know burnt into ash, quite reminiscent of the first Harry Potter movie uh, where Quirrell also burns to a pillar of ash and then falls on his face and crumbles. Like, it's the same scene. <laughs> I'm sorry, you just said, like, there'll be peace and all I can think of is that fucking song. <laughs> you know the song. You aren't even up to that yet. I am not. Uh, no. And they lied. There is no fucking peace. But no, that's all I can think. But while you're talking about the way they killed the Doctor off, and the yes. way that is such a bad special effect. I know. I'm watching some of the stuff from this first season. I'm going, man, they literally never do that again. And it's like they can't decide what effect they want to go with. Like, they don't want to stick with it. I'm really glad in later seasons they just sort of pick one and go with it. But, like, yeah, you're right. This first season is all fucking all over the shop. And when the doctor's possessing them and it's just, like, the, the electricity yeah. from the hands, yeah. it reminds me of um, Star Wars and the <gasps> evil dictator and when he electrocutes you. Yeah, with Palpatine! Yeah, you're right. Of. I'm looking at the bad, like, blue lightning special effects and I'm like, it's like, it's Palpatine. It's like if Palpatine and Einstein had a baby. That's what that guy looks like. Somehow Palpatine has returned. Actually, no, Um, speaking of... Uh, recurring mm-hmm. themes, because I also have a recurring theme. <laughs> Men are stupid and horny. Oh, my God. Why yes, the fuck my- would you kiss the ghost? <laughs> okay, 
In his defense, and I I say that lightly because I think it's very evident, Gavin is a shitty boyfriend. Like, he told his girlfriend, oh yeah, we're going to go to a movie, and then he brought her to a fucking abandoned asylum and had her commit a crime. But they're also, he's also like, it's like we're in the movie. I know. It's like, that's a fucking <laughs> horror movie. And why would you want to be in a horror movie? Most people in horror yeah. movies die. I'm sorry, I would love to be in a rom-com. That sounds great. Oh, yes. Or a comedy or a fantasy movie mm-hmm. or a sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. But not a fucking horror movie. Yeah, I desperately don't want to be in the horror movie unless, unless I get to be the, the demon. The demon slash murderer slash, oh, like, yeah. poltergeist. Sign that me up. would be fun. Can you imagine... You're just like saving things, hunting people, saving things and hunting people. Hell yes. There is an alternate universe where the poltergeist is the hero of the story. (laughs) Um, Actually, and I love there's a moment where Dean has a little PSA in the episode where he turns to Kat and he's like, you've seen horror movies, right? And she's like, yeah. He's like, next time, pay attention. Someone says something's haunted. Don't go in there. And I was like, oh, Dean had a PSA. It was very cute. Yes, no, I did love that. And actually also on the terms of like effects that they never really use again, Sam having that camcorder and like being like, wow, it's all been in here like crazy. I, I'm i pretty sure they never, ever use that again. Maybe they use the camcorder, but I don't think they ever talk about orbs. At least not, they don't look for them. They might see them in images, but I don't think they ever specifically look for orbs. Or point them out. When with a camcorder. Orbs. Yeah. <laughs> What I didn't get about this episode, though, mm. is some of the special effects, really good. Yeah. Like, I really enjoyed some of the ways they shot the ghosts and, like, sort of this, like, there was a ghost and they pan past him and it's sort of like he's got, like, split personalities. I mean, he's sort of, like, shaking between yeah. different personas. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And then they had other special effects and I'm like, that is terrible. It's very hit and miss. Why would you do that? I do you know what I really loved actually the scene where um Dean's walking with Kat and she's like you're hurting my arm and he's like what are you talking about and they look down they see the hand the part where they like yank her into that other room it happens so quickly that it makes me jump like every time mm-hmm. like I thought and like having the door like slam like I just I think that like just like little things like that is actually just so effective like all they did was have a door slam by itself that cannot be that difficult to do in terms of like film tech but it just, I don't know, for me, it's one of those things where it just really is, it is very effective for me personally. While we're talking about that scene, can we talk about how they're like, Sam's very certain that he just has to face this ghost. And like, that's fair mm. enough. But like, they just stop trying to get her out of the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I would be kind of pissed. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's great that you think that this ghost isn't going to hurt me. But still, like, keep trying to fucking open the door. Yeah. I Don't thought, just stop. I thought it was funny that they just kind of stopped. But also, I think like... If you, as a person, are trying to calm down and you can hear someone freaking out on the other side of the door, probably going to make it harder for you to chill out. I do love that. Um, oh, God, what was I going to say? I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. I think I was going to say something about Cat as a character, but I can't think what it was. That's okay. I fucking love her as a character, though. I, yeah. I what really, a fantastic character that I'm pretty sure we're never going to see again. We never see her again. I really like her character. Like I said before, Gavin is a shitty boyfriend. And I love that there's that uh, section where Sam's like, you know, can either of you shoot a gun? And he's like, no. And she's like, um, I can. And like, she's like, yeah, I'm ready to oh, like serve and protect. Oh, can we talk about how <laughs> Sam's advice for them immediately comes back to bite Dean in the ass? <laughs> it's so funny and I love um actually I love that she's like hey Gavin he's like yeah she's like when we get out of here we are so breaking up and I was like yes cat babe you can do better like you can do so much goddamn better I love that she immediately shoots Dean Sam's like just shoot anything that moves and then then she does and then she does and it's Dean and it's yeah No, uh, it's very it's very fun. Uh, another thing that was quite fun that I just wanted to mention, I don't think there's really much to talk about it, but I just liked it, was 
when Sam is like explaining to them, they're like, oh, like, you know, how do you guys know all this? And he's like, oh, it's kind of our jobs. And she's like, why would anyone want this kind of job? And he literally comes back with, I had a really crappy guidance counselor. <laughs> That's a brilliant moment. Isn't that such a good line? I love it. And like, it's delivered with such like, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's just, it's really well done. I think it's a great line. Um, I just thought it was really fun. While we're talking about them asking about how they know this, there's also a bit where they ask Dean almost the same question of like, why do you do this? And Dean goes, I get paid the big bucks. And it's like, Dean, we have just discussed in the last nine episodes that you don't get paid for this shit. You literally hustle, pull and commit credit card scams. Like we, we know this. Kind of speaking of big bucks, the fact that they get into a psychiatrist on literally no notice and also can afford a psychiatrist. I obviously like, we have a different healthcare system here than in the US and But all I've heard out of the US is goddamn horror stories about anything to do with finances in the health system. And I know that a psychiatrist here isn't cheap. And, like, we've got a... Decent Medicare system. It's not the perfect. God, it's not perfect by any bloody means. But it's... Okay. But it's... Generally, from what I've heard, it's better than what the US have by comparison. And... I just, I was really surprised because like, yeah, like trying to get in to see a specialist at last minute notice, like even here, there's usually like, sometimes you can wait months to get in to see a specialist here. I don't know specifically for psychiatrists, but it can be a long bloody wait. And I assume they're not going through the private system. I assume they're going through public. But also because it's a, they wanted to see a specific psychiatrist as well. Yeah, exactly. It's not like they just, they needed an appointment with anyone. Maybe he's just like a small town private psychiatrist who doesn't have like thousands of patients yeah i mean i don't know about you but i probably wouldn't trust the psychiatrist whose father was the head psychiatrist at an asylum that then ended up having a riot i mean yeah true but you also you can't you can't judge someone based on who their parents are i guess unless they also exhibit the same traits you know, I this guy doesn't seem like the kind so of dude who's, the, like, com- doing lobotomies in his basement. Is is the psychologist that Sam sees secretly evil, then? Ooh. Nature versus nurture. Jamie, you're already getting into season, like, 13 topics. I'm so excited. <laughs> just skip all the ones in between. We'll just skip straight from season one all the way through to season 13. I'm sure yeah. you'll catch up. Yeah. She'll be right, mate. <laughs> I'll give you a 30-second summary of the 12 seasons in between. I really love that they go see the psychiatrist and also like you mentioned earlier, like Sam straight up is like like he's avoiding talking about anything other than the than the asylum, which is obvious because that's why he's there. But I love that you get the implication that Sam actually had a psychiatry session because he, you know, says to him, Look, I'll trade you information for information. And I kind of wish in a way that we got to see that session. But also, I'm kind of glad that they left it completely up to your imagination and let you fill in the blanks about how he's feeling about... Like, and, you know, we get some, like, indication, obviously, through other things about how he's feeling about the quote-unquote road trip and about Dean. But I I really like that they left that kind of open-ended so we get to kind of fill in our own blanks with the context of, you know, stuff that we know from other areas of the show. So I just think that's really fun. Let's talk about the fact that they turn their torch off when they first find the girl, their torch is off because they turn it back on when they hear the girl move. Like, why would you turn off your torch? And it's not like in the creepy way that all the torches are going out when they get to the Flicking south wing. Yeah. It's like they had turned off their torch sometime between one shot and the next because they have to turn it back on. And I was really confused by that. No, no, I didn't even notice that. You actually. best believe if I'm in an abandoned fucking <laughs> asylum. You're keeping your torch on. I'm keeping my torch on. Yeah, that's fair. I genuinely didn't notice, but I agree with you. It's weird. <laughs> if that if that's how it works, then yes, no, that doesn't make any sense for them to have it off. Okay. So let's talk about how the very beginning of the episode, uh-huh. the cop gets a nosebleed, right? The one that's possessed. possessed. Yeah. Yeah. He immediately tries to wipe it off with his hand. Yeah. That wouldn't wipe it off, though. It would just smear blood everywhere. How does the other cop not notice the nosebleed? It's because dark. It's, it's dark, Jamie. <laughs> Maybe it's then, too hard to see. But surely, like, at the end of the shift, they would go back to their precinct or whatever and be in actual lit, lit areas. How the hell did the cop not notice the nosebleed? Mm. And that leads me to the question, like, did they have an awkward conversation about, like, oh, yeah, I just got, like, a nosebleed? Like, did the spirit have to try and cover up the fact that the body that he was possessing has a nosebleed because he's possessing the body? But then also what happens to the ghost when the body it's possessing dies? 
I think it just gets like yoinked back to its like tether. Is that a technical term, Bethany? Yoinked? Yeah. Uh, in Scooby-Doo, probably. <laughs> Which is relevant to Supernatural, so I get to keep it in there. But also, like, because we can confirm, because Sand does the same thing later on when he's possessed. He gets the nosebleed and he goes to wipe it off with his hand and it smears everywhere. Yeah. So it's like, clearly within universe, that wouldn't have actually cleared it. It yeah. would just make it way worse because the blood's now fucking everywhere. Actually, I just remembered in, uh, I want to say season seven, there is a character uh, who is a ghost who is tied to, uh, similar to in Hookman, instead of being tied to a place, they're tied to an object. And they can kind of like obviously go like if someone moves the object they can they go with it because they're tied to it. A bit like the Bloody Mary mirror. A bit like Bloody Mary, yeah. But they can also possess people, and within the person they can travel away from the object. But if they are ejected from that person, they're like like I say, yoinked back to the object. So I assume it's the same logic. I'm imagining like the it's like the opposite of yeet. I yeah, yeet implies forward motion. Yoink implies back reverse motion. Yeah. <laughs> One you're getting like thrown forward, the other you're getting pulled back. Yoinked even. I wanted to make a point about I know we've talked about where Sam and Dean are talking about, like, you know, you mentioned Dean references uh the actresses from uh, Medium and, and Ghost Whisperer. Yeah. Send me back to childhood. I wanted to talk a little bit about that conversation because it's very clear, like, Dean is using humour to hide the fact that he is still quite unsure and maybe even uncomfortable about the fact that Sam has this ability. Of course you would take a throwaway joke and make it <laughs> into a massively deep character analysis moment. Well, I think that it's a, I think it's a fair analysis because, like, you can look at him and, like, he is unsure and he is uncomfortable and he doesn't know what it means. Like, it's it's a very unknown, Sam having this ability. Like, Sam barely understands it. Dean's only just learned about it, like, within the last week because he only found out about it in Home, which was the previous episode, you know. And if we assume a week between, which is usually how it goes, I think that's kind of how the timeline tends to plot out in the show. Sometimes, obviously, there's episodes that are, like, two-parters where it's, like, it's just instantaneous. But So what do they do for the rest of the week then? Oh, you just have to kind of fill in your gaps yourself. Quite genuinely, like, there's a lot of stuff that they end up referencing, like, oh, like, when we did this, and it's like, well, we never fucking saw that, you know, or uh, with other characters, it'll, uh, oftentimes, they'll be like, oh, yeah, like, when I spoke to Cass last week, or like, oh, you know, remember when we watched that movie together kind of thing, and it's like, well, we've never seen that happen, but we kind of just assume it happens in the downtime between what we see, which is funny, because they kind of create, like, this negative space where the characters exist when we aren't watching them as well. And it's it's a very interesting concept, but this is not the point. I wanted to talk about how, yeah, like Dean is, us- is using humour to deflect the fact that he is uncomfortable. And this is something that he does, like as a character ongoing. I feel like he even does that when Sam's about to shoot him as when he's possessed. Yeah. Like he's still cracking fucking jokes. Yeah. And it's a, it's a defence mechanism um, because you can't be scared. He can't let Sam, and that's the other thing, like, Sam's abilities, they are an unknown and they are a supernatural unknown, which makes them inherently kind of scary. And he can't... Especially for a character like Dean, where it's sort of like the supernatural has been something where it's almost always something scary. It's, it's never almost good. always something to fear. It's very rarely that a supernatural being is sort of either good or neutral. Yeah, it's always, it's always a negative. Hence why he had so little faith in like the ghost that were yeah. actually peaceful in this episode. Versus Sam, who was like, they're not going to hurt us. And Dean's like, are you fucking sure, mate? Yeah, and that's a really interesting thing about Sam and Dean as well. I think I mentioned to you a few episodes ago, I can't remember exactly when, about Sam and Dean having different opinions. But I love that Sam immediately comes back with like, I'm not like a psychic. I just get weird vibes. And <laughs> I'm like, but the full on prophetic dream weren't <laughs> enough to like tip you off that you're a little psychic. I know, I love, but all I could think was like, do you know that guy on TikTok who wears, like, the, like, green, like, cap with, like, the little wiggly things on it? And he's just, like, vibe check! And he's just, like, bad vibe! Like, that's all I could think about. <laughs> it was just, was just Sam, like, looking at someone or being in a situation and being, like, bad vibe, bad vibe! <laughs> I find it actually really funny because, um, you know how I was saying earlier that Patricia Arquette, who plays the psychic Alison Dubois in Medium, yeah. most of her prophetic visions come to her in dreams. Yeah. If you watch the show, 90% of the time when she knows, like, somebody's been murdered or something, it's because she sees spirits in her dreams, essentially. Oh, okay. And they basically try to speak to her and tell her what happened. But almost every single episode starts with her having a dream that's either prophetic 
or it is like a memory of the person who has been murdered. So I think it's really funny that one of the psychics that they chose, because there's a lot of like psychics that are on TV that he could have referenced, because there are a lot of characters on TV who are meant to be psychic. I find it really funny that one of the ones that he mentions was one who gets most of their prophecies through dreams. Yeah. And another one who literally just sees ghosts in the street. Yeah, which is exactly like Sam saw Jess in like the end of, I think, the first episode when we talked about, you know, her being on the street. Yeah, so yeah, you're completely right. It is interesting that they are the, the two that he decided to go with. And it's it's interesting watching them kind of like learn about what abilities Sam has and what it means and why he has them and, you know, and to what extent they understand them as well. And, and Dean's opinions and Sam's opinions on them as well change and evolve. And it's, it's very interesting to, to learn about alongside them. All right, so I think that's pretty well that's conversation over. I don't know if I've got nothing else to say about that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think before the end of the episode, I have to make room for a PSA. Like, I haven't missed one yet. Do you have any guesses this week as to what my PSA is, Bethany? I feel like my guess would have just been the PSA that I mentioned Dean having earlier in the episode, which is if someone says a building is haunted and also there's giant fences around it, just, like, don't go in. No, that's not my PSA this week. My PSA, PSA this week is... If you're going to spend, like, several thousand dollars on fucking therapy, take advantage of the fact that you're going to therapy. (laughs) Deal with your mental problems. Oh, God. I'm a big fan of psychologists. Uh, (laughs) I would suggest that most people should see one, if not everyone. I feel like, actually, maybe everyone should see a psychologist. You don't have to have mental health diagnoses. You might just be going through some shit. Or just wanting to talk about life in general and, like, why not see a psych about that, I guess? I mean, I feel like in 2020 everyone's going through some shit. You can't get wrong. Some of us go to therapy and others just start a podcast about Supernatural <laughs> in the year of our Lord 2021. Some of us do both. <laughs> no, that's a very uh, a genuinely good PSA, yes. If you uh, have the opportunity to go to therapy, take, take advantage. advantage. Don't waste your goddamn money. Or your time. Or their time, for yeah. that matter. Speaking of psychiatrists, I did want to talk about one last thing for the character of the spirit of Dr. Ellicott. When he is in the midst of starting to possess characters, like uh, I think we saw it with both Sam and Dean, he puts his hand and we talk about the Palpatine lightning, uh, but he also says, don't be afraid, I'm going to make you all better. And I don't know what it was about that line, but it made me so sad but also so like it was so creepy and uncomfortable but also it just made me so sad i don't know i don't know what it was about it did you get that that vibe i just found it really creepy because it's like you're not trying to help them get better that is pretty obvious by the way you put the experimentations above the actual mental health of your patients Mm. uh which he's a bad psychiatrist when i say go and see a therapist i do not mean somebody who's going (laughs) to give you experimental rage treatment that actually just makes you worse and ends up in a riot that kills a bunch of people. Yeah. Which, can we talk about, like, the doctor's body in, like, the cupboard bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. What the fuck? (laughs) And this, for me, that was a case of that's really good special effects. That prop was really good. I really enjoyed that. But then you, like, pan to the special effects makeup on the actor who's playing, like, the spirit version of the... And I'm like, I don't... It's a similar to uh, Dead in the Water. I think for that, they probably should have either gone, what did the Doctor look like the moment he died? Yeah. Or he should look like the fully decomposing corpse that they've got in the cupboard. I... Instead, they've done this sort of halfway between the two thing and he's got like one eye bulging out. But like, yeah. It's like, I think it would have been far more terrifying to him for him to just be sort of drained of colour. Or if he just got out the cupboard. Because to me, it just doesn't make sense for him to be this sort of halfway looking thing. The thing that confused me about that scene is that they do this thing that's very reminiscent of the first Harry Potter movie, where like, you know, when Harry touches Quirrell and he just like turns to ash and then falls and you kind of see his spine Mm. in the ash. It's very cool. But they do it in the show as well. And that doesn't really make sense because it implies that the spirit had a physical body that was separate to the body that was in the cupboard. Whereas he's just running around like, He's a spirit. He's just running around possessing people. Like, he doesn't yeah. have a physical Which, body himself. I was going to say, because that really throws into question our whole composition of ghosts discussion. But, you know, it, it really confused me. I was like, I don't know why you would imply that there are two separate physical bodies. Like, yes, having a spirit in the shape or a manifestation of the body makes sense. But having it actually become a physical object 
that exists once the spirit has been like they can released. turn to ash like the bones. Yeah, it just it kind of seems because it implies that there are like two skeletons, you know, because there's yeah. a skeleton in the cupboard that's burning, and there's a skeleton now on the floor that's ash, and it's like it's just, just die. You get a free skeleton. <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was a bit. No, uh, while we're talking about the spirit possessing people, Jared's acting when he is possessed by the spirit of the doctor. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. So good. And then you go to the scene, like, outside the car when they're about to leave town, and the acting from both of them is so bad. And I just don't – I find it really funny that you have, like, this one scene that you'd think would be, you know, really mentally difficult to do. Yeah. Just, like, the acting in that scene, which, like – that scene as a whole, like, the way it sort of frames the brothers, really interesting and, like... Fascinating. You do think for a moment maybe Dean's actually going to have faith that Sam's not going to shoot him, which, like, by the way, I have an older sister. She would shoot me in a heartbeat. <laughs> like, no questions asked, no hesitation. I would be dead. I was shocked, actually. Uh, uh, they do this in, like, other seasons where they have, like, someone who's, like, on the verge of murdering someone else because of possession or, like, what other circumstance. And it's always this case of, like, but you wouldn't kill me. I'm your whatever, you know. You wouldn't – but you wouldn't kill me. Like, I know you. I know you're in there kind of thing. And they always sort of stop. But, in yeah, in this particular instance, like, Sam would have killed him. Yes. Straight up. 100%. Absolutely. So I would think that that scene there would be so mentally taxing and so difficult to do – really well which they did and then they have the the next scene which is like really casual and it it seems like a far easier scene to like shoot and it seems like easier emotions to get into because it's sort of like everyday chit chat like repression sort of thing that they've been doing for the rest of the season so far yeah but it's so bad (laughs) maybe it's just a matter of like because the first like the first thing we're talking about is more challenging it like more effort and time and thought went into it Whereas a scene that, like, yeah, from the outside seems, like, very simple. It was maybe just, like, less thought or effort went into it. And that's why when you see them so close together, it's, like, a weird contrast. I don't know. I really enjoyed the scene where Sam was possessed. I thought the acting was really, really good there. It was just really, really weird to me because that immediate dichotomy of going from this scene that was absolutely fantastic in terms of acting to so, like, stilted and awkward feeling as a scene. Yeah. Not because the characters are stilted and awkward, but just because the acting is stilted and awkward. I, like, can't remember enough specifically about it to, like, really have an opinion on the final scene. Rewatch it. Okay. I dare you. I dare you to rewatch it. Like, um, one thing that I really wanted to talk about is in that scene where Sam is possessed, I think it is a really interesting insight into just how, like, and I know, like I said before, like, the spirit is is manifesting it but just how angry sam is about the whole situation and he really really rips into dean about how he you know always wants to follow john's orders and like you know you don't think for yourself and it's pathetic and these things that maybe sam similarly to what we were saying before to skin maybe it's not something that he thinks about actively but it's probably something that he does have on his mind and in his subconscious and he does find frustrating it's just all of the bits that he knows are not true or he's sort of trying to repress within himself all of those things brought to the surface yeah like he knows they're not true they're just emotions that he has He's never going to voice them ordinarily because he knows, like, intellectually they're not true. Mm. But they're, like, his base level fears and angers and annoyances, etc. Yeah. I think it's a case of it being something that Sam thinks, but it's something that he would never, ever verbalise and use as, like, he would never weaponize it against Dean. Like, I, I think that it's the possession that makes him use it, say it out loud and weaponize it. But I do think it is based in truth i think it is based in things that do truly frustrate him about dean and about how dean behaves in regards to their father compared to how sam thinks and behaves in regards to john though can we talk about the dichotomy between how sam reacts to john's orders and how dean reacts to john's orders yes absolutely because holy shit man what the fuck in today's episode of john is a shitty parent yeah and um it's interesting because it really does highlight how different Sam and Dean are and how different their relationship is with their dad. And yeah, that ties back into to what I was just saying, where Sam is quite frustrated with Dean because he feels like, 
I think he even says when they're arguing about whether or not they're going to follow the coordinates, he's like, well, you know, he's he's given us a direction. We have to follow it. What I don't get about that scene in particular, though, is like just three episodes ago, Sam was like, we've got no leads, we've got to find dad, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's like you've literally just got a set of mysterious coordinates. Mm. Okay, it might not be from John again. Could be just a random kid yeah. playing a prank. But you've got no other leads. Why the fuck wouldn't you follow it? Yeah. I think that it's really interesting because Sam kind of makes the point that he doesn't care what John wants them to do. He's like, well, I don't care what Dad wants. Like, I don't care if he's going to send us coordinates. I don't care if he's going to you know, tell us what to do. He's That's like, all well and good, but what if he's sending you the coordinates to where the fuck he is? <laughs> like, that. you don't know that. There's no contents given to these coordinates. Like, yeah. if it was a message that was like, boys, there's a monster here. I, I can't be there, so I need you to be there. I'd understand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because then it's sort of like, well, John said he wasn't there, so, like, you're not going to expect to find him there. But also, what if John's in actual real-life danger? <laughs> he's not but uh, what if he's in actual danger and they he sent them the coordinates because that's all he's managed to send them, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think um, what's interesting specifically in terms of Sam and Dean's opinions and their relationship with their dad is later on in the episode when it's become apparent that John isn't there and he has just sent them on another hunt. Sam says, you know, when are we going to talk about it? And Dean's like, talk about what? And he's like, the fact that dad isn't here. And Dean's like, oh, uh, never. You know, and Sam obviously is frustrated, so frustrated, so angry that they still haven't found John. And he's clearly sending them on like a, a wild goose chase at this point. But then there's Dean who is saying like, you know, of course I'm going to follow dad's directions. I'm a good son. And it's like that. Big yikes. Yeah. And It's, you know, Sam basically being like, oh, you're always going to, like I said before, you're always going to follow dad's orders. Like, really? You're never going to question the man? And Dean's like, no, because I'm a good son. You know, this is why I always got the extra cookie. And we obviously already know, because it's established just in the pilot, that Sam and John have differing opinions on what's important and what should be prioritized when it comes to education and things like that. Um, versus a hunting life and you can really start to see how their dynamic could have been before Sam left you know if if he was already starting to question John's orders and already starting to say you know actually no not good enough um, or I don't want to do that you know you see how Dean reacts and you can think about maybe how John would have <laughs> taken that kind of like disobedience I guess I don't know. The entire situation for me is just very big yikes. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's sort of like, wow, that is like a shitty, shitty parental relationship. Yeah. Like, just so bad. And actually, like, I don't think this is a spoiler, so I don't mind telling you, but a lot of that reluctance from Dean to not follow John's orders stems from, or it can be argued that it stems from an instance when they were kids when he didn't follow John's orders and Sam nearly died. So Sam doesn't know about that, but Dean does. So he's very much got a complex of, like, John knows better because it has been proven to him, not recently, but in the past, with almost very severe situations and severe consequences, that not following orders can... Gets people killed. And it's very much like he he needs to he needs to prove himself to his dad as well. You know, he needs to be perfect. He needs to be the perfect son. And he, so Sam, he needs to be, <laughs> you know, the 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 great big brother. And he also needs to be the mother and you know and the father as well. Like he has all this pressure on him to make sure that he is upholding all of these things. You know, and and part of it is is obeying John as well. Big yikes! Big yikes! <laughs> Um, and then obviously John calls at the end of the episode. What did, what did you think? I mean, they're very much still hammering home the, like, we're looking for John thing. So it seemed it seemed like about time. Like, they'd had a couple of episodes where they didn't really focus on the search for John. So I figured it was coming up soon-ish in the next couple of episodes. I mean, you don't really see much of the call. You don't know if it's John. You don't know if it's, you know, somebody pretending to be John. You don't know, you know yeah, what's that's... happened. 
whether John's worked out what he's fucking doing and has decided to stop being a massive fucking wimp and hiding from his sons or <laughs> what. But my theory could still be correct. He could still be on like a week-long bender. and He's just on a vacay. On vacay. I mean, it's pretty well established now that he's just hiding for whatever reason versus actually being like actively in danger. Like he may be looking for danger, but he's not currently at risk of dying if he stops doing what he's doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or at least that's, like, the vibe we get from... Yeah. He was obviously at Missouri's in the last episode. Yes. Clearly alive and not in any imminent danger, so... Which, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand why he would go to Missouri, but it, not his sons. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if it is dangerous for him to go to his sons, which you, you assume is probably his reason why he's not involving them. Yeah. Like, you don't know at this stage. They haven't really told us anything about that. But also... If it would be safe enough for him to go there, why wouldn't it be safe enough for him to see his sons? I'm not going to say too much more to that because I have, I have other intel. So if you didn't have anything else that you wanted to bring up, because I think I'm done. I guess the last thing is your rating for the episode. What would What would you rate Asylum out of five? Okay, so it wasn't the best episode, but it was certainly not the worst. I would probably give it like a three and a half. There are a couple of moments where the dialogue was a little clunky. There are a few moments where I'm like, ooh, that is an acting choice and I'm not sure it's correct. (laughs) But there are also some really brilliantly done moments. Yeah. And while the lighting was still dark as shit and I couldn't see a lot, at least it logically made sense for the lighting to be dark as shit where I couldn't see a lot. Yeah. All right, cool. And the next episode is called Scarecrow. What would your prediction be based on the name Scarecrow? <laughs> I'm going to assume there's a Scarecrow. Really? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever could give you that idea, Jamie? The name Scarecrow. <laughs> it will probably come to life and kill people. That is a fair assumption to make. So it's not a big jump, is so it? You're not, you're not predicting like uh, the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> well, the Scarecrow is what? Lacking brain? Could be killing people for their brains. Like Could a be zombie? a secret zombie. <laughs> Scarecrow zombie. I actually kind of love that. So, yeah, so that's your prediction for next week. Um, in which case, I think we're all wrapped up. So, if you wanted to discuss anything uh, with us or let us know what you think about the episode or add your thoughts, anything like that, you can always come find us on social media. So if you wanted to argue with Jamie about the lighting, for example, or debate acting choices with her or anything like that, you can find her over on Twitter at DriverPixPod. And if you really want to get into the details of the chemical composition of ghosts, <laughs> Bethany can be found on Tumblr at DriverPixThePodcast. So feel free to get in touch with us uh, if you would like or chuck us a follow. If you're interested in any updates, we'll post when we have new episodes and uh, anything like that. Uh, Anyway, yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.